Hi, I'm David Dakota. Hi, you're David Dakota. I'm I'm not David Dakota, but I wish I was. But we're smarter than you. He's <laughs> out of the gate like that. That's great. <laughs> And welcome back to the B Movies Podcast, your Etruscan limericks for all the latest movie news, reviews, and whatnot. My name is William Bibiani. I'm the film channel editor at Crave Online. Everyone calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I contribute to Crave Online and other sites as well. And we are extraordinarily happy to bring you this very <laughs> special bonus episode of the B Movies Podcast uh, with one of our favorite directors, uh, one of the most prolific directors on the planet. You know his work. His name is David Dakota. Hello. Uh, Hello. Also known as many other things, as it You've had out. many a pseudonym. Can you, can you run down some of your pseudonyms? Oh my god. Victoria Sloan, Ellen Cabot, mm. Ca- Ellen Cabot, or as my friends say, Ellen Cabbage, um, <laughs> Richard Chasen, Dick Chasen. Oh, yeah. ah, oh, I just got that. Uh, and um, uh, Dolores Banfield. Uh, oh, Jesus. Uh, I can start listing my drag oh, names, too, if you want. Please. <laughs> no, I'm just please, no, no it's fine. I'm just kidding. Where are we going to find you in your, in your drag persona? <laughs> you, you, you've directed, I mean, it's over. It's like it's over 100 films now, right? I've directed. I'm think... actually looking at your your internet, internet movie database page right now. It says 115. Well, yeah. I'm sure that's not all of them. It's right? not. Well, I, 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 I consider... The, that I've just directed my hundredth movie because I don't I don't talk mm. about my early love stories. Uh, oh, I see. Yes, my early love just stories. Cross that off our <laughs> list here. <laughs> the ones for mommies and daddies. Exactly. That, that, that was the, that was what paid for all the movies later on. But um, no, I uh, no I think about a hundred. You know, relatively. I mean, since Dream Maniac, I think Dream Maniac was like my first horror movie, and then mm-hmm. you know, I guess a hundred movies. I think is where I'm at. Nine hundred two one zero Shark Attack. No, excuse me. Uh, three Screen Queens, which I just finished, um, is my um, 100th movie. I think. Congratulations, sir. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Author, Fantastic. author. And I'm going to keep doing it till I get it right. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so you've directed, just to show people who, you, they should be familiar, but just in case they're not, amongst mm-hmm. your many films, uh, includes uh, Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolorama. Oh, that's me. What greatest title of, of any kind of B picture. <laughs> just about. My second favorite, although this wasn't the original title, was Test Tube Teens in the year 2000. Yes. Also known as Virgin Hunters. <laughs> yes. Uh, you also did uh, A Talking Cat. I sure did. Uh, you did uh, uh, the 1313 series, the glorious 1313 series. Absolutely. I've seen every single one of the Brotherhood series, oh, in- including the Sisterhood. Great. Yes. Great. Um, and and Petticoat Planet, that's another personal favorite of well, mine. My very first Western. Yes. <laughs> but not the last. Not my last. And uh, quite a few of the Puppet Master movies as well. well Absolutely. Two, I directed two. four or five. Four of them, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you did part three, which was... I did part three. Which, which is the best. Thank you very much. Yes. No, it was... Uh, you know, I've had a long and, you know... Uh, very uh, fruitful uh, career with uh, Charles Band, who essentially gave me my start in the business as a director. Oh, Christ. You turn off the ringer, but not the answering machine. (laughs) Hold on. Still rolling. Still rolling. And take two, and action. I've had a long and fruitful career with uh, Charles Band uh, since uh, 1986, when he um, uh, let me direct a Dream Maniac. In fact, um, he's wearing his Full Moon Pictures t-shirt. Representing. I'm representing. If only we were on video. I know. I'm I'm pushing the... uh, Well, Dream Maniac was on Netflix for a while, which was hilarious, because somehow... It ended up in the MGM library. So when you watched it, when you watched oh, gosh, it on yeah. Netflix, you'd have that lion at the beginning. I was like, really, <laughs> really, great. So Grand old very world proud of exactly. You know, Wizard of Oz, Dream Maniac. You know that crowd. Yeah, <laughs> Leo is it's, a not very discerning lion. It's, it's it's a small step from James Bond. It's a really. yeah. very small. So step how, how did you hook up with Charles Band? You know, yeah. it was it was one of those typical situations. The um uh. uh, uh, uh young production assistant that I'd worked with as uh, PA with at Roger Corman's. Uh, his wife uh, was a budding young writer and she mm-hmm. wanted to write a screenplay and I asked uh, if she would write a, a horror movie for me for a nickel and she said sure and she wrote Dream Maniac which was called Succubus at the time I was getting ready to shoot it I was going to do it on my own I was going to shoot it on three quarter inch which is what you did back in the day right, right. it was gigantic old yeah big old tapes. like you know humanic machines and everything but I, I it actually was a pretty good little script so she used it as a writing sample to try to get work at 
you know, Canon and Empire Pictures. And she had gone to film school with the head of development at Empire, which was a woman named Deborah Dion. She showed her the script. She says, not only is this a good writing sample for you, but, you know, we would like to buy this script. Is it available? She says, well, no. A guy named Dave Dakota starts shooting this movie in about four days. <laughs> and so they said, well, maybe David Dakota, whoever that might be, should maybe meet my husband, Charles Band. And uh, because they might be able to do some business together. Now, I grew up with Charlie's movies as a projectionist in Portland, Oregon. I played his movies on, you know, in the theaters I worked at. So I was familiar with his name. Wait a minute, what, um, what kind of awesome theater is this that's showing Charles Band's earlier Well, this movies? is, like, I'm, 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 I'm quite old. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very old. So I was actually, <laughs> I was actually a projectionist in the 70s. I was 15. Yeah, exactly. Yes. No, I was 17. I was 15, 16, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, movies like Laser Blast and Crash yeah, and yeah, Tourist yeah. Trap. Nice. Daytime ended. Now, these movies actually played in theaters. For the record, Leonard Moulton liked Laser Blast. You know what? According to MST3K, they remind us every time I watch the Laser Blast, <laughs> which is to me one of the most hilarious mystery science theater. Charlie loves it too. It's the nice. Laser Blast version is like David Allen and. Roddy McDowell? Wow. <laughs> hey, you can't go wrong with Eddie Deason. Well, remember what they said about Eddie Deason? And he goes, oh, Eddie Deason in it. So you, you know it's not going to be funny. That's true. <laughs> I didn't say it was were funny. There's a certain exquisite tragedy to the work of Eddie Deason. Well, and it's so weird in that Million one in particular mystery. because he's he's Eddie Deason, but he plays the bully in that movie. It's yeah, really bizarre. I, I, he's the skull to uh, whatever to the bulk. other, to yeah. other guy's bulk. Yeah. I, I love that movie. It is just so... Um, Poverty Row, shot on weekends, <laughs> short ends, crew of four. Hey, but, but stop motion. The Kyoto Brothers did a great shot motion on that, yeah. It was David Allen. David Allen, did, I thought the Kyoto Brothers worked on nope, that. No, Kyoto did not. I don't I, think they did. I th maybe thought they were assistants. Okay, maybe I could they be wrong. Were. Maybe I could they be were. wrong. Even so. I was familiar with Charlie, so when I got to meet with him, I was quite starstruck. He was very charming and very sweet, and he basically became my partner right. on this succubus movie, which I shot in 10 days for a nickel uh, in a house that was being sold by the director of I Dismember Mama, Paul Leder, who wow. ultimately became a really good friend of mine. Nice. And uh, he was uh, renting it, and it was the house was... Uh, he was the real estate agent, and the owner was William Norton, who I think wrote films like um, Big Bad Mama and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, so yeah, so it was like a house. You know, that's what you did back then. You needed a house movie. You drove around a, an affordable neighborhood and tried to find a for sale sign. So you knew that they were used to having strangers come knock on the door. <laughs> so that you say, hey, it's, you're going to sell this. So you know, why don't you let me rent it for a couple of weeks and I'll mm -hmm. make a movie. So I did, and we did, and um, so we made the movie. And Charlie decided to put it out on his Wizard Video label. The uh, <laughs> wonderful no, what I assume not no, yeah, it was Wizard Video. Those big boxes, those big VHS oh, yeah, boxes. Yeah, yeah. shells. Yeah. That, that, you that you can't fit on any shelf. Exactly, ever. exactly. And it was, he retitled it to Dream Maniac, Wake Up and Die. Um, it was my female Freddy Krueger movie. So, yeah. <clears throat> so I did do you, that. Do you prefer Succubus to Dream Maniac to this day? I like Dream Maniac, just really? because it's all one word. It's ridiculous. <laughs> one Dream Maniac. Dream Maniac. <laughs> Dream Maniac. So, uh, and then he, he kind of liked it. He said, it's kind of shitty, but um, I remember his... his <laughs> His wife was like so cute. She was like, she called me like right when she looked at the director's cut and she goes, um, I saw your movie. Are you gay? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, wow. I make a horror movie and they still think. I, I guess have, it's just. Have you seen Nightmare on Elm Street 2? The gayest movie I've ever seen. Right. And they claim it's an accident. They say, like, I, it's I've so seen weird. gay porn that's less gay uh, than that. I saw just... Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 on Hollywood Boulevard opening weekend. <laughs> oh. Okay. And we were all sitting there. It was mm. packed. Hmm. And we were all slack job. We go, what the? F and I was loving it. You know, Robert Russler in mint condition, <laughs> <laughs> shirtless. I was like, yes, please. Um, but so, uh, somehow exuding a sheen of Vaseline down his midsection. Yeah, Charlie, you know, everyone Char got sprayed down before every. Exactly. Yeah. I really lose. That was it was the craziest. Whipping in the shower. The yes. Oh, I know. Oh, no, it's the, the gay bar scene. Where Rob <laughs> Robert Shea plays an S and M guy. Like, what would that fuck kind of company? Shea in the leather pants. Exactly. So, anyways, but she said, "Are you gay?" And I said, "No." So I was very much uh, deep buried in the closet but uh, but it was kind of obvious since all the guys got naked in the movie and the girls didn't you know it's like it's like prom night four that's where the, all the girls get killed in the beginning and there's right, this right. guys left it's like, 
my good friend Ron Oliver wrote and directed that. Anyway, um, the uh, so um, the uh, so they said Charlie goes well, you know I don't know, and I go okay, well let me do another one, but I'll shoot it in thirty five millimeter, and I'll just I'll get a good DP, and we'll make it look really. And he goes okay, he goes how much do you need? I gave him like you know it was like a dollar, a couple of rolls of pennies really is what I spent on those things, and so I did a film called Creepazoids, which he really liked a lot, and that was so sort was of a movie eighty seven. That's right? eighty seven. Right. So that was the one that kind of kicked it, and actually that film was actually played theatrically, and I, I actually had a movie on 42nd Street so I was on a double feature with um, Galactic Gigolo I think <laughs> um, and then uh, then right after that was the movie The Imp which ultimately became Sorority Babes and the Slime Bob all around yeah that's another great title change where The Imp tell, The Imp doesn't show up for like 35 minutes I feel That's like you, you could be I, forgiven for not thinking there was an imp. Yeah, yeah. Although I, when Lomea quickly shows up in that awesome outfit. That was one of those movies that I kept walking past the, in the video store. Mm-hmm. Kept seeing this cover, seeing this title, and it had this sort of enchanting, like that scene from Chaplin quality where I could feel it floating towards me, but I never was allowed to rent it when I was young. And, and oh, was still like, far too smutty. Yeah, it was, a, it was a considered a little smutty. And uh, I finally, I actually finally watched it last night. And I thought there'd be more bowling. I think that's. <laughs> I think that's where the title misled me. It just says in the bowlerama. It doesn't say right. bowling. In well, the I just there's something I don't know. Like there's a certain implication that there there, there was some bowling. There was human head bowling in one scene. Mm. You you didn't completely yeah, miss we, the opportunity. Well, yeah, we were in that bowling alley. This was all in San Diego County or something or Oceanside. I can't remember where, where exactly the bowling alley was, but uh, we had got had to get out of L.A. because we couldn't afford a bowling alley in L.A. and the permitting and all that. So we found a, an affordable one down there. We put everybody up down there and we. It ended up being this crazy movie where we we had to shoot it at night, so we started at like ten o'clock at night and finished at like eight in the morning. And so and there was a full bar at this bowling alley, and, oh, no. and we you know the the DP would be lighting, and we'd all have a little gin and tonic, and then we'd make the movie. And it was a and we and, and then it, I ended up hiring like Linnea, who I'd worked with on Creepazoids and knew her before Return of the Living Dead, and then also Michelle Bauer and Briggs Stevens, who Fred Olin Ray introduced me to, and then Robin Michelle from Slumber Party Massacre, Andros Jones. That was his very first film. He went right from that to Nightmare on Street Park. Part four, Hal Havens from Night of the Demons. Um, so it was, and Buck Flower from every John Carpenter movie right. played the played the, um, uh, the janitor. And so it was kind of the whole hee haw gang was on mm. this one. Yeah, and uh, it was a crazy little movie, and I just wanted to make it insane and wild and nutty. And uh, I think you succeeded. It's all of those Thank things. You. For it's sure. a mess, but it's yeah. like <laughs> it's a mess, but it's kind of a fun mess. And I think so. You know, I think it, I think it plays in a very fun mm. sort of drive-in way. Well, I, William was just saying that uh, Linnea Quigley's character is like the Jack Sparrow. Of sorority babes and slime ball. You're, you're around. watching like, it. It's okay, fine. You, you I see where characters. Going. They're kind of simple. They're gonna die. Oh wait, here's like this really off the wall character. Spider comes in yeah. and injects this new energy into it. She doesn't take any of the crap that everyone else just like. Oh, sorority babes. Like no, fuck the sorority. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. I guess one of them. But like, no, don't, don't. Yeah, it's right. just, she's so no nonsense. She steals yeah. the whole movie. It's and she keeps her clothes on in that movie. She, but she doesn't need to take her clothes That's off. She's Linnea quickly. She is sex. <laughs> she is sex, and she still she's but the thing is I had already done Creeps and I and I was there was a lot of nudity in that movie and Michelle and, and Brink did full frontal nudity in that and it was quite um, uh, alarming um, <laughs> I, went, I went as far as I did but I also wanted to, there to be no mean spiritedness to it I wanted to have mm-hmm. a sense of fun where the violence or that kind of thing was toned down because it was all within a ridiculous setting. Right, right. And so, because I've, uh, I've just, um, you know, I, to me, I you know, I wanted to deliver the goods, and I think I did in terms of the the hot, sexy moments. Mm-hmm. Michelle yeah. The Bauer. spanking scene goes on quite a while, and thank you it for that. It goes on mm-hmm. quite a while, yeah. and um, but it was like the whipped cream initiation. I mean, yeah. we had, we pulled out every cliche we could on that. There's <laughs> no such thing as a shower curtain in the world of sorority babes <laughs> and the slime ball or, or, or David Dakota, for that matter. I've seen those brotherhood movies there's yeah. a lot a lot of sh- rubbing water on chests yeah yeah they yeah. like to rinse off a lot they never soap up but right. they like to rinse a lot of rinsing off. off a lot of rinsing off yeah we, we gotta get on with our day you know <laughs> like, we're not gonna make, make a whole evening out of the shower but uh, you know we want, we want everyone to see no it. but that would what, what, what it's interesting when that movie came on VHS it was it was before the internet obviously and like we got some fan letters and nobody really 
they saw the movie without in video stores, but mm. it was that it was that late night USA up all night program with right, Ronda right. Sherry and yeah. Godfrey. God bless that. that oh, I missed that show. I mean, it, it, they they would show the edited versions of the films, but those that was that show that really put that film, mm. Assault of the Killer Bimbos, uh, Doctor Alien, a lot of the films that I had yeah, done, a lot of the trauma the, stuff Beach from Beyond. I, I it took me forever. I saw that movie getting lucky. On that thing, you ever see that with like the teenager who finds a leprechaun in a beer bottle? Yes. It was like zapped, but via <laughs> yes. trauma. Yes. Yeah. Oh god, it took me forever to figure out what that movie was. That yeah. movie is not available. Yeah, it's that one's it's, really tough. That was released by a company called was it PM Entertainment or was it called? I can't remember. I, don't know. I remember getting lucky. I remember that movie because that, that was back then. It was horror or or teen comedy. It was, yeah, like that sex, was sex or revenge action revenge yeah. movies. That was those were the genres that were the international currency. The when time, when so. it, when a film of yours is on up all night, did you like make a night of it? Did you have people over or what? Not really. This is again. This is way before. Um, you know, I don't even think I had cable at the time, and it was a USA channel, which was not a terrestrial channel. It was a cable channel. But I remember seeing some of them. Either I was at a friend's house and saw some of them. But it was yeah. It was nice that you know it was just crazy back then because we make these little movies and then they would end up on television. It's like why is this on television? <laughs> and I remember when we sold Nightmare Sisters, which I had done right after Sorority Babes. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, that one has a lot of nudity in it, and I sold it to the USA Network. And about a week before they aired it, they called me and said, "I'm sorry, we're going to pull the movie." And I said, "Why?" And they said, "Because." When we cut out all the nudity in Nightmare Sisters, the movie was 37 minutes. <laughs> and I said... Here, here, very well done. Well, well done. done. <laughs> and I said, oh boy. And I said, so what am I... I said, so does that mean you're just going to put a lot more of those 976 and 900 phone sex commercials in that you normally <laughs> yeah, do on late right, night? Right. And they go, we can't buy FCC law. We cannot have that many commercials. So we're going to go ahead and give the movie. And I go, no. I said, I will shoot a version of the movie. <laughs> And I will go back, and I went, and I, and because I was, it was so low budget, and it was back on the shot on film days, I didn't want to have to do any dubbing. So anything with nudity, I would just have. I brought Brink and Linnea Michelle back. It was okay. like a year or two later, and we would went to the house, different house, but I just have them playing with balloons with like sexy outfits on, and they would just play with balloons. And then that's why when not, when, not a bad day's work, I'd when, say. When the guy, when the guys look through the door, they go, "Wow, look at those balloons!" And it was like. It was, <laughs> It, but they were really looking at the boobs, uh-huh. and so we added all this stuff. Now, the thing is, what's bizarre? We do, we edited the one inch master and put all that stuff in there, so they have the same running time. But it's a bunch of balloons for all the. Oh it was the God. most ridiculous. We tell me that cut exists. I. It's so funny you should say that because everybody's asked for that cut. I think we cut the original master and just gave it to uh, USA Network, and we never made a VHS dub or anything. Oh, no, so it's in a drawer it's, somewhere. It's, 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 it's some basement. lab. It's some lab, oh, and it's it, some poor intern is the only one to have seen it in the last fifteen years. <laughs> and then I some I lucky intern. <laughs> and then like he he's looking through the door. Well, he's not looking into the bathroom for the bathtub scene. Is now looking through the door, and the girls are bouncing on the bed. They're just down, bouncing okay. on the bed. Mm. It's ridiculous. Sounds hey, delightful. Hey, but I still got that license fee from USA Network. And back then, that was a good chunk of change. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that was, but then that whole Charles Band thing, I mean, I, I left Charlie and I, you know, I did films like Lady Avenger, which was a revenge action movie with a lot of car stunts in it. And But the fun, the, the my most fun I've, I think I've had outside of those puppet master films for Charlie is I did a film called Dr. Alien. I haven't uh, seen Doctor. I actually haven't seen it either. So that one, so I'm really, well, I'm really, I'm really pleased with it because first of all, it uh, the script uh, uh, was written by uh, Kenneth J. Hall, and it was the first time I'd worked with him as a writer, and I had met him through some peeps, through some friends, and he wrote it. it was, it's so fucking hilarious. Actually, no, he wrote Nightmare Sisters. I, I take that back. He wrote Nightmare Sisters. And he did such a good job. I said, write. Uh, I had a title. Charlie would come up with the titles, and I'd have to come up with the movie to fit the title. So he goes. I would kill to oh work gosh. at Full Moon in that era. Yeah, I would it, literally kill it, anyone. It was. I, it was. I would love to be in that position where you get yeah. to make up the funny title and say go. Yeah. yeah. Well, he would come up and he would show you key art. He would show you like the right. imp. You know, he showed me the imp thing, and I go, okay. So I'm gonna. And I said it was a, it was a, a, a imp coming out of a of a, a out of some kind of lamp, mm-hmm. uh, some kind of genie. And I said, well, that kind of looks like it could, if we kind of cheated, it could be a bowling trophy. So let's sit at the bowling alley, and I was like, "Because bowling alleys were fun back then." And so suddenly, that's why we <laughs> still, came up with the still story. Still but more fun. Exactly. And so, Doctor Alien, the original title was "I Was a Teenage Sex Mutant." 
That is a great That's title. A great that title. was a great title. That tells you what kind of movie you're getting. Mm-hmm. Doctor <laughs> Alien. He could be a very benevolent alien. Right. He could just be like, you know, well, well, Doctor Alien. It hurts when I do this. Well, <laughs> beep bop bork. Oh, I get it. Well, but the, the title "I Was a Teenage Blank" has always yeah. sat a little bit uneasily with me because does that mean you imply like now I am an adult werewolf? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and could you make a sequel called Now I Am Look, a Werewolf? Look, it's hard enough to be a werewolf without also being pubescent. A Yamata werewolf? Yeah. yeah. A little, little, that's a little Hebrew there. But <laughs> right. a, good oy. Hebrew. Yeah. Well done. Um, but the, uh, the... No, but no, so we... But that one it was weird because we actually had a little bit of money on that one. Charlie, mm-hmm. you know... He said, look, we have to book more stars in this one and everything like that. So I remember the audition process because this was about eight, late 87 and the movie was called I Was a Teenage Sex Mutant and Brad Pitt came in to read for it. He came in to read for everything back then. Was he good? He was great, but it was a comedy and he played it so serious. <laughs> and so, and then Billy Jacoby came in who was the star of Cujo and all yeah. these movies. I go, let's use Billy Jacoby because he could be a nerd and he's a name and blah, blah, blah. So Billy came in and we cast him and then uh, Arlene Galanka from Mayberry RFD came in. In, and she was in it, and uh, Troy Donahue, nice. uh, Edie Williams came in to audition for us, and ended up falling out of the chair and like laying on the floor and had an orgasm for us. Or in the audition, it was great. And um, this was the eighties, and um, and <laughs> she was the wrong year. Yeah, yeah. different time, and, and uh, that was wild. And then we Olivia Barish from Repo Man was in it, nice. and um, I mean it was just I mean it was a fun. But I had like nineteen days to shoot it in, and and it was like Nicholas von Sternberg was my DP who had shot Tourist Trap and Gas Pump Girl. So it was like a it was a fun shoot, and we had a dynamite script, dynamite cast, and I actually had time to shoot the movie properly with the proper coverage and the proper time to rehearse, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it ended up being a really good movie. I was really kind of impressed. I said, "Oh, maybe I'm pretty good at this," because I didn't know what I was doing. Well, now I feel like a total asshole for not finding we it. We will find it. On. We will see it. We'll review it on the podcast. We'll review oh, it on the podcast. And that was the movie that I gave Ginger Lynn, Ginger Lynn Allen her SAG card on. Nice. Thank nice. you for that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You legitimized her. I did. I did. Yeah. And I Made just her did mainstream. her. I did her podcast uh, about a month ago. Her Friday. It was a thirty-year reunion. I hadn't I seen her really thirty she years. Had a podcast. That's yeah. It's a. I think it's on Vivid or something. Maybe. Oh, okay. Um, but um, it's a relatively naughty podcast. I blushed yeah. the entire time, oh. uh, especially <laughs> when she gave me a gave me a lap dance. On the podcast, nice. yeah, it's like nice. it's like ginger. It's your. Well, I actually, it's I, actually dances, yeah. I actually host uh, uh, an adult entertainment podcast called the Blue Movies Podcast, uh-huh. which is just hour long interviews mm. just talk, with talking with the porn stars of various mm-hmm. pedigrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so get as get as blue as you want on this. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, but anyway, so ginger. Also, was I'm, I'm going to be giving you a lap dance later on. Oh, so. really? That's okay. <laughs> and I will film it. <laughs> He's actually giving me a lap dance right now, but you guys don't know. You just that. can't see yeah. it. Get down on it. Here we go. Don't. Don't ever say get down on get it. Down get down on, on it. it. No, I can't do that. Keep on trucking. I'll, I'll just <laughs> I'll keep on trucking. So and Linnea's what in was, it and everything. I was really happy was, with how it turned out. Was that the film that you were had like the most time and leeway? Yeah, to actually exactly. Made? That is the one, really. It, it, all the planets of the one hundred movies. Of that's the one, the one. Well, that one in Puppet Master Three and maybe Skeletons and Leather Jacket Love Story. But what I really liked about that one is is I, I really felt that it it delivered. And what was bizarre about it is Charlie had, during the making of the film, sold Empire Pictures back to the bank. And so the film was free and clear, and he showed it to Paramount, and Paramount said, we like it, let's put it direct to DVD, because we need to have more movies. I ended up, the movie came out on VHS with the Paramount mountain logo at the beginning of it. I'm just like going, Jesus Christ, this is ridiculous. I like to think that that means it's in continuity with Indiana Jones. I think so. I think it, yeah. I think it is. It's, it's certainly in the same column. Yeah. If there was some way you could like fade from the, the Paramount logo, like pan down to the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, just like Indiana Jones. We, 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 we've talked about it a little bit, but tell me about sort of the evolution of the Puppet Master franchise. Because again, I really do feel like Puppet Master 3 is... Mm-hmm. It's the best one. It has the best story. It's the origin story. You got to make the puppets heroes mm-hmm. for the first time and fight Nazis. Like even though they're evil, they're not as evil as Nazis. So, yeah, you know, well, it was and great. The, the first two were just like pretty efficient slasher movies, and this was the first one that had like a myth. Right. Yeah, and this so, really so all it. of the sequels mm-hmm. to follow referred back to Puppet Master Three in some yeah. fashion. Well, that's that. All of that, mm-hmm. that concept, the the backstory, the the evolution, the the concept of the life force put into the. I mean, all of that was you. No, it was oh. was C. Courtney Joyner was <laughs> okay. the writer of the film. Um, he's the one who uh, came up with all of that, 
and sort of we all sort of fell out of our chair when we were just like this is amazing because it was a sequel but what had happened was is after um, uh, Dr. Alien came out through Paramount and did well enough that Paramount said okay we'll continue taking movies they put out films like uh, The Intruder okay mm-hmm. okay but the but that was Scott Spiegel Scott Spiegel shot he and Sam Raimi shot Dr. Alien back simultaneously concurrently with Dr. Alien they shot The Intruder nice. so it was they were both of us were shooting and they delivered their movie and they Paramount insisted on an R okay that is a very refreshing thing to hear yeah well they was 25 years ago one time that a studio insisted on that yeah well they insisted on an R but they said that you cannot be unrated yeah okay so he, poor Scott, they, they went in and just butchered his movie because mm-hmm. it was so gory. Yeah. They just butchered it to take all the, um, uh, all the blood and gore out of it, and it would just kind of, I mean, it was incomprehensible, the edits on that movie. So I felt bad for him because I like Scott a lot. Scott has worked for me as an actor uh, and things like that. I really liked him a lot. And, um, um, but, uh, but, and also um, uh, Jonathan, I can't remember his name, who did A Cannibal Woman in the Avocado Jungle of Death. So those three were in, in, in sequence of the Paramount titles. So Charlie got, had some money and he came up with his Puppet Master idea and hired the writer of Dr. Alien to write Puppet Master, and, but chose to have David Schmoller direct it. So David Schmoller, who had done Tourist Trap and who had done a number of films for Charlie Crawl Space, mm-hmm. films like that, very talented guy, uh, came on and directed Puppet Master. Um, and then um, I was asked to come back, because I was working elsewhere, I was asked to come back and produce Puppet Master 2 for Charlie. Uh, no, for Crash and Burn for Charlie, and he liked what I had done. He said, well, let... David Allen direct Puppet Master 2. Now, David Allen had been a stop-motion animator for Charlie since all the way back to Laser Blast. Hmm. So, and Charlie had been promising him a directing job for a couple of decades, if not more. So, um, so we let David direct that, and that was a challenging thing for me as a producer. So when we wrapped that and went on to Trancers 2 with Helen Hunt... Um, I uh, produced that for Charlie, who directed it. By the way, you're, you're, you're dropping the names of like all of my favorite... Like ran on cable at my friend's yeah. house. Actually, I have a, like, I have a Puppet Master two poster in my apartment, mm-hmm. signed by the director of photography Tom Denovi, who was my professor at film school. It says always be uh, always never be the puppet, always be the master. Well, that's interesting. No, yes. I I'm the one who got Tom that job uh, oh. because Tom had shot. Um, well, Comes this is full circle. Yeah, I mean, Tom, I had known back in the Love Story days. <clears throat> And um, <laughs> which he did not tell us about at UCLA. <laughs> the love story. Oh, did days. I just say that? It's, yeah, no, it's no, fine. He, but he, Tom, he is, and Tom is, is his professor in any of those movies. Yeah, is the no, next question. No, 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 Tom had been around. He'd been a DP. Worked a lot. He did um, a movie called um, Aftermath, which was mm. very special effects oriented. So mm. I had introduced him to David Allen. David chose him as the DP, and Tom had shot. Uh, Puppet Master 2 but I had brought in other DPs and directors I had four units shooting simultaneously on that just to keep up because it was a very busy show with a lot of shots and David was a new brand new director and um, so it was that was a very challenging movie to me, for me to produce but based on that and doing Transfers 2 and bringing that in on budget Charlie just said hey you know you should probably direct a Puppet Master and so he gave me Puppet Master 3 because the original concept was to shoot that in Romania where Ted Nicola had just, had just gotten back from shooting Subspecies. And, and so, but, it, but and Ted had a, not a very good, t- good time out there and so no directors would go out there except for me. So I said, I'll take the job and I was going to go. It was a, a very, very bad winter so we said, let's just shoot it all in L.A. So I shot Puppet Master 3 in L.A. Courtney Joyner wrote a great script mm-hmm. and was involved in the whole casting mm-hmm. of it and everything. We had a like great Rick, cast. Richard Lynch was the one. Richard like, Lynch. Who was my least favorite of the bunch, believe it or not, because Richard oh. was in Transfers 2, and he and I got along really well. We talk about some of the crazy movies he did in the past and stuff, but as an actor, he was kind of cranky, and I wanted Christopher Neen from the Hammer Films to play that role. Oh, wow. Uh, because I, I yeah, wanted an entire British character. Yeah, it would have been great, because Christopher Neen came in to read for me, and I was going to use him. Mm-hmm. And But uh, Charlie wanted to use Richard Lynch, and, and Richard and I didn't get along at all on that movie. And that's weird, because I get along with actors really well, but he just did not like me. Mm-hmm. And um, 
so, but but Sarah Douglas was in it from the Superman films. Guy Rolfe, you know, Mr. Sardonicus was in it, and, <laughs> and Walter Gotell from the James Bond movies. And I mean, I had a great cast. We had a great time. But and Ian Abercrombie, who went on to Seinfeld for a while, he was mm-hmm. great. So I had a great cast. I really liked uh, working with all those people. You worked with Ian Abercrombie again in Virgin Hunters. I sure did. Yes, I uh, was the one. I wasn't allowed to watch for a long time until I finally saw it on Cinemax. Well, it, it, that was interesting because what had happened was after late, late night cable has so much to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> I have, no, I have to thank Late Night Cable. For yeah. <laughs> well, what happened was, is we were doing these movies, and Paramount was releasing them, and, did, and they were doing extremely well. And even Paramount didn't know why, because most of them <laughs> didn't. But, because most of them just were didn't have a lot of names. But Charlie is sort of a promotions genius. He knows how to promote. He's building a brand. Mm-hmm. He knows how to get the word out. And there was a real following for these kind of films. But the whole erotic thriller thing sort of spiked oh my in, in that yes. time. And if so, Shannon Tweed was a sex therapist, we'll buy it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's what the or deal... an expert in violent sex, because there's yeah. a lot of those. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, she did a hundred of those, and I actually know her. So, uh, But no, what happened was God, is that she, on the show. She, she... And she's a hoot. Oh. She is so cool. Yeah. She is so cool. Oh, such a so you what have to be. Well, what happened... Her and Julie Strain in a room together and see what happens. And then just throw in Joan Severance when they're not expecting it, just to see what happens. <laughs> and Tanya Roberts. Ooh. Oh, I love Tanya Roberts so much. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. We're getting off track here. No, no. What, so what happened was is that, so Charlie came to me and said, look, um, Paramount could use a little more erotic content because they Charlie had done a film called um, Meridian, Kiss of the Beast, which had right, Sherilyn right. Fenn and Charlie Spradling and a, very sexy and it did very well. So we can... I, I, I heard that uh, Clive Barker got up in arms over that movie. Really? Well, yeah. Because his movie Nightbreed was about monsters that lived in a place called Midian and it was oh, kind of really? like... His story was coming out around the same time, so he got he thought they were kind of trying to rip him off. I don't I I, I don't know. But I know that it was an erotic movie that did very well for Paramount. So what had happened was is you know, there were 30,000 video stores back then, but very few could have adult sections. Right. But whenever they would buy, you know, uh, Mortal Desires, yeah. it would rent more than the A movies because they didn't have an adult section. Right. In, 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 in and there was no internet. I'd People had to, this was where we could that, get our sex stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was the way to get it privately in your home. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked for uh, Corman for a little while and they always had two different uh, video covers. Mm-hmm. There was one that was extra smutty for the one for the, like, the video stores who were a little more bold about it. Right. Like, you know, sensual desire, evil right. conceit, whatever it was. And like one was them, the nude lady like covering it up with her hand. Right. And then the other one, there was like a, a really badly airbrushed ribbon added, like some clothing mm. was added. So for the blockbuster videos who didn't like to carry erotic content but still wanted to, we could sell them the tame cover and they'd, they'd sort of be covering their own ass. Right. Yeah. So, well, that know. was sort of the deal is that, you know, you could, this was, this content was safe in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. And if it was hardcore, there are 30 states that it's illegal in. <laughs> so just by running that simple eighth grade arithmetic, they said, if we make something sexy, we can sell it everywhere. And there's, hey, there's nothing porn about this. This is a real movie with Shannon Tweed and Tanya Roberts. And so um, uh, nothing adult about this, local sheriff. <laughs> Shannon, um, you think Shannon Tweed. You think all ages. <laughs> so anyways, he said, can you start an erotic label for me? And I said, sure. So he came up with the, the, the label Torchlight. And Torchlight was going to be a label that I ran. Provocative. Yeah. I, I, the label that I would run. I would direct the movies and stuff. So the first um, title out was a title that he had come up with back in the Empire days that I loved the pre-sale art but I couldn't figure out a movie for it called Test Tube Teams from the year 2000. I love that title. Good. And so I said, why don't you, I said, can we use one of those titles? That's sexy enough. He goes, okay, why don't you go ahead and do that? So I hired Ken Hall who had done Dr. Ailey and everything and he wrote um, Test Tube Teams from the year 2000 and we shot it on the same sets as Pup, as Jeff Burr's Puppet Master 4 and 5. Right. So they finished shooting and we went right onto the same sets because yeah. those sets were built and they spent a lot of money on them. Yeah. So I shot it, and it was a seven-day shoot, and Morgan Fairchild was in it, who's a doll, and yeah. he had Abercrombie, and a lot of pretty girls and pretty boys. And, and it's a legitimately funny movie. Yeah, there's some I funny that's, moments. That's, that's, actually, that's Ken Hall. It's actually a very, very was, witty film. Was this the first appearance of the Etruscan limericks? Okay, so in two of your films, at least two, <laughs> that one in Petticoat Planet, I remember noticing this when I was a kid, 
There, someone says my turn-ons include Etruscan limericks and my turn-offs include black socks with sandals. That, is that all Ken Hall, or did you do? That, that? No, that's all Ken Hall. But then when <laughs> Matt, but then when Matt Walsh wrote Petticoat Planet, he always liked to refer to a lot of my past films. Okay, oh, yeah. So he right. Matt borrowed from Ken on that. Okay, I have yeah. literally I've been wondering that for twenty years. <laughs> the mystery that's, is because I didn't know because I thought limericks were Celtic in origin and Etruscans were pre-Roman. And I didn't know what that was <laughs> i was so confused you're but to this it. day i have never worn black socks and sandals okay as well because you, of that as well you shouldn't well yeah just but i principle. didn't know until well, i saw test two teens in the year 2000 well ken had also written um um a little teen comedy i did called the girl i want okay. which didn't even come out on video you know it played late night um mm-hmm. uh what was it um late night um uh, usa up all night all right. but uh, we had a great cast in that too but you know, he had a lot of funny lines in that one. So Ken was always good with the one-liners and stuff. Very, very funny. So anyways, I did I did that movie. And then right after that, um, Charlie said, let's do a movie called Beach Bitches from Beyond. And Albert went, you know, Charlie, um, can, can we not use the word bitch? Because Charlie's father. And, we, we don't want to be a dick about it. Yeah, like, you so know. he goes, okay, Beach Babes from Beyond. Much fact, better! So we hired well, a writer. That's, that's a friendly title. you know. That's... Yeah. We hired a writer, and he used a pseudonym. I don't know who it was, but he wrote it, and we ended up shooting it, and it was 10 days. It was fairly big budget. We had big dance numbers on the beach and everything. But I had an, an original song as well. An original song, Woody. Get That's a Woody, the one, get yeah. a Woody, yeah. And um, but I had a good cast in that one. I had Joey Travolta, Jackie Stallone, Don Swayze, Burt Ward. Um, Not Burt Ward's brother. You couldn't get Burt Ward's brother. Burt Ward's brother. Or? Yeah. Well, I feel like we got. We already got like we got another no, Swayze. Ward, we got another Travolta. We got another Stallone. No, Burt Ward. We got the the real, yeah, the real Burt Ward. Ward. Okay. Burt Ward. And okay. who else was that? Oh, and um, who else was in that? We had Joey Travolta. Well, hang on, I, I can I can look it up here on the Jacqueline computer. Stallone. Um, God, Jackie Stallone. Who was a hilarious, mm. and uh, she worked an hour. And uh, Don Swayze and... Joe Estevez. Joe Estevez, there that's right. Joe Estevez. The other who's, brother. Who's a, who's a doll, and Linnea's in it, mm. and uh, Nikki Fritz, and uh, it's pretty sexy stuff. So we did mm. that one, but then what happened was, is Charlie did the key art for Beach Base from Beyond and said, oh my God, I like this better than the Test Tube Teens artwork. So we're going to go ahead and release Beach Babes first, and then that's when the problem began. Because wow. okay. now I shot these films extremely hot. I shot the very extended love scenes, all very tasteful, no hardcore or anything like that, but very mm-hmm. hot, sexy, lots of slow motion, nice lighting, mm-hmm. very sensual, Excellent all lighting, silent, the yeah, way, yeah, all but just silent. And I didn't have to know, no moaning and grating. So I thought I, there's a good chance that I could get an R because we had to deliver an R rating. Yeah. Now, at the time, even some of the majors were releasing two versions, an R and an unrated. So I was hoping that in the event we got we didn't get an R, we got an NC-17, we'd still get a release. We deliver the, the Beach Babes from Beyond mm. to the MPAA. The phone call that came back from the MPAA <laughs> was, um, uh, never send us a movie like this again. Stop <laughs> wasting our time. Oh, dear. We stopped taking notes 10 minutes into it. Wow. And I went, oh, my God, we are fucked. Those guys are such jerks. I hear that story <laughs> but, from so many different You know, it's like, that's their job. But the problem mm. was Paramount shouldn't have not had us give them an R. I mean, yeah. there were, nobody's going to get in trouble. I mean, just release it unrated. Nobody knew, you know? Yeah. But it was like the MPAs just doing their, we're self-regulating, and this is what... And I go, guys, there's, like, no violence or any. It's just all comedy. Well, and what I love about, like, your erotic films from that era is, like, you know, you compare them to what was going on with... Shannon Tweed, Julie Strain, etc. Those are all like dark thrillers about yeah. shame. Uh, and then you had an all, innocence to yeah. you. They were all about playful. Yeah, they were all about sweet. murder and stuff. And yeah. you know, Beach Babes from Beyond has no murder in it. It's got Joe Estevez That's and shorts bumming around about, saying, hey, you kids have fun. It's about yeah. teenagers who think sex beach, might you know? be fun. And it guess is. what? It is. Yeah. Like, that's. Nobody lovely. dies. No, Nobody's it's, cheating it's on It's adorable, is what it is. So, anyways, so we ended up having to go in and I cut out about 30 minutes of the movie and had to literally. By eyeball, cut in all the outtakes 
and repeated. I mean, it's the most embarrassing. And I got my R, and we mm. just barely made our deadline. And then the trouble then began because I knew we had a hot version of test tube teens. So we had to cut all that sex down. And now this is not during this all happened as I was on a plane from Romania to do <laughs> two more erotics, Castle Queen, the lurid tales of the Castle Queen for Charlie and Petticoat Planet. Mm. So suddenly I'm like, oh my God. Now this all, I was shooting Castle Queen. So I, I kept the sexiness to it. And I just said, well, maybe we'll get around it. And then if you look at Petticoat Planet, there is so little sex that it's her dancing around. Right. I said, I'm just so paranoid I'm going to get an NC-17. <laughs> right. and I, I will say, as a fan of As the World Turns, knowing that there was like a topless scene of Leslie Kay <laughs> in Petticoat Planet really, really made my 90s. <laughs> no I, one else gets what I just said, but if you're a As the World Turns fan and a Petticoat Planet fan, you know what I mean. Leslie Kay Sterling's a doll. Yeah, she had yeah. done a few erotics back yeah. then, and she uh, she had a... Uh, I yeah. shot the first lesbian scene ever shot in Romania. It was her and Elizabeth <laughs> Caton. Sir Elizabeth Caton. You, you need a plaque somewhere. In Romania. Uh, yeah. That's a, that is yeah. an award. Well, sir. it was still it was still a crime in Romania to be ah, gay. It was still just to even right. say you are, you could get arrested. Yeah. So I was like documenting a criminal act, so it made it yeah. extra hot and sexy. <laughs> uh, so, um, um, so no, so I did that, and then I came back and I did Cave Girl Island, okay. which Charlie said. Um, I shot it. I shot it real tame. We're dancing. They're like dancing on the beach a lot now because I was so paranoid about getting an X at NC-17. And then Charlie says, Dave, let's end the movie with a big orgy. And I go, Charlie, we're going to get in trouble again. We're going to get NC-17. He goes, I want a big orgy where they all get, they all, all the girls get diddled on the spaceship. And I went, oh, Jesus. Okay. That's the kind of thing I've said, but no one has ever gone, okay, I'll do it. Like, I, I want a big orgy. And someone's like, oh, yes, sir, Mr. Bibiani. Like, no one's ever done that. Well, I'll never be in this. This is a baptism, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's so funny because right when I finished the big orgy scene, the next day I started shooting Prehysteria Three, which was a family film. So, <laughs> under that, another was name, was that your first sort of just outright family? family, family yeah, movie? yeah. Because yeah. that's the fascinating thing is you've had, you've done literally every kind of movie, every kind of genre you could possibly imagine. I've yeah. worked in every genre. I'm a. Uh, is there a favorite? Put, I mean, like, is there one like, oh, another family film? Yes, sir. You know, like, I'm back with erotic thrillers. Look, or... I'm. A, I, I love them all. I mean, it just depends. On, it really depends on if the script seems to work. It doesn't really matter what genre. The only thing that I just. I, I'm just trying to not have if I make a horror film not try to make it too mean spirited and mm -hmm. I, or misogynistic or mm -hmm. I just try to celebrate the female form and not a way to be chopped up and brutalized mm -hmm. I really kind of love the, 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 the male form and the female form so I don't think they necessarily need to be so brutal some of these yeah. films so I just try to be tame and also my as, an, as I get older my taste is changing I'm much more mm. but also I ran into a lot of issues with the horror films exporting to Europe and things like that with censorship so I've always tried to just tame everything down because I you know you, these films have got to sell yeah. mm -hmm. worldwide to really recoup their budgets and stuff because even though we were doing the micro budget you, they still were, were still yeah, yeah it was 35 yeah. millimeter feature films that had to be you know, finished and edited and shot, and everybody had to be paid and everything. So, did, did the process change a lot when he had to move to digital? You know, that was a that was always a very strange thing for me because I'm not a film purist by any stretch of the imagination. But at Full Moon, I had done well. I had I had went to Romania and I lived in Romania for about eight months, and um, I had a boyfriend out there. I had an apartment. I really loved it out there. Mm -hmm. But I I did like eight movies in a row, uh, Witch House and Retro Puppet Master and stuff like that. So at the time, I was just kind of like, you know, I need to get, I need to get back to LA just because you know, living in Eastern Europe was it was great, but it was also living in Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like it was like very impoverished there and everything, and kind of depressing. But um, the um, so I came back and I was hired immediately for two films finance that were financed by Jordan Belfort, The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh wow! Ooh, yeah. Okay. So which he, which one? Prey of the Jaguar with uh, Stacy Keach, Linda Blair, and Maxwell Caulfield, mm -hmm. and uh, Skeletons with uh, James Coburn, Christopher right. Plummer, and uh, Ron Silver and Good Baker. Cast. Yeah, great really cast. Good. That was like a movie. It was like a three million dollar movie. Warner Brothers backlot. I thought, oh my god, I'm on my way. This is going to be great. <laughs> and of course, you know, the minute you know, I deliver the movies when Jordan got arrested and the whole thing went crazy. <laughs> so, but nobody knew he was a you know chopped ran a trouble. We thought he was just a Wall Street guy. He was the nicest guy. Too. Did you ever get to go to one of his fancy parties? I never went to his fancy party but I was up at the house two or three times. He used to invite me up for dinner and because he was a movie buff. That's the only reason mm. he did it. Okay. Um, his, he got into it because he knew he thought he could make some money which he did 
not. Uh, but he did it because he was a movie buff. Um, that part is not really covered very well. In, yeah, in, so I was in about the to movie. say, who plays you in the Scorsese? Yeah, yeah no, no, no. Yeah, that whole, I mean, that's probably his reality show, which he's doing. But he's a mm. doll. I love that guy. You know, unfortunately, you know. But so, but anyway, so I after that movie, I thought I could get some some big budget movies because you know you do a big movie, maybe you do no, more. Yeah. yeah, no, that did not happen. I joined the DGA on a film called The Journey Absolution, which was with Richard Grieco. This is, and, by the way, like your fiftieth film. Yeah, I'm just. I mean, I was literally. I I literally was either in pre-production, production, or post-production simultaneously. I never had a, any time off. I was always working, but that was the '80s and '90s. I was back pre-digital, so it was not a democratized industry. It was a hermetically sealed industry. And if you did a good job, and the bond companies liked you, and you delivered on time and on budget, you worked all the time. And there was like awesome. six of us in LA that had that gig. <laughs> six of us: me, Fred Ray, Jim Wynorski, Roger had that, but he wasn't directing. Maybe David Pryor at AIP, maybe one or two others, but we were always working. Oh, and also, I started working. Wynorski, yeah. yeah. Well, I started. I, Jim's an old friend. I, so, I, I met that guy. He 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 kind of creeped me out. Though, yeah, he's, he's he's harmless. I'm he's sure he's yeah, he's a pussy. He's, yeah, he's a pussy guy. But um, he used he used, he said the word fag like eight times. Well, the, the, I, I, I actually thing, so. had to stop him. He said that once at a party, and I said, Jim, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Um, you know, you cannot use that word anymore. I yeah. said, because you're not one. <laughs> if you are one, you could use it, right. but you're a not one. And <laughs> you're um, a not one. <laughs> yeah. So stop it. He had. A, he just has to. And he's finally he apologized. Okay. And, you know, he finally. You know, saw the light. Yeah. You know, well, it, you know, but people. You know, people say things. But anyways. Sure. So, uh, but I did those Jordan Belfort movies, and I went back to Charlie, and I did Shrieker. Mm. Now I did Shrieker, Curse of the Puppet Master, a whole bunch of them, Talisman, all these things back to back. Now what happened was, is these were shot in 35 millimeter, but finished in digital. Mm. And we had a real tough time passing quality control when it came to just the technical, because you know, hard drives and tape just doesn't have the same, the, 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 the technology hadn't caught up to the broadcast standards of European broadcasters. So we had a lot of rejected. The minute a movie's rejected, you don't get paid. And so I just saw like 30 movies, or no, maybe not 30, but maybe like 15 movies in a row that were having major technical. So I was not anti-digital from a film purist standpoint. I was anti-digital because... The system was already in yeah, place. Yeah, but, yeah, but it was just like you couldn't deliver the movie. It looked yeah. great on an NTSA monitor, but in Germany, yeah. on the pallet, they go, I'm sorry, it's it's all kinds of blocking and it didn't look, they yeah. rejected, they didn't pay you. So I felt, what well, if it can shoot in 35 and finish in 35, as soon as the digital technology catches up to our standards, then it would be fine. George Lucas started shooting the new, that Star Wars movie with the F900 Sony. That was the camera that sort of changed everything. Right, right, right. But, but it, you know, he still spent $100 million on that movie, whether he shot yeah. it on digital or film. Yeah. So, you know, he finished it right. He did the right post-production and stuff. So I was still waiting, and there was still films being shot on with that camera that were still having quality control and delivery oh, we issues. Could tell. Yeah. yeah, we and, could tell. We could. And so what happened was is finally there was a camera, you know, uh, that in a post, and then the hard drive cost went down, Final Cut Pro kicked in, and finally you could actually finish a movie in a box and it could play anywhere. And that what, took a while. What was your first digital movie? The first digital movie was, I did a film called The Sisterhood. Oh, that was the first digital movie that I did. I shot on the, with the Sony F, uh, F900. It was mm -hmm. post-produced in Canada, but we shot in the Turks and Caicos Islands. And um, um, and then right from that, I went to I did a Sci-Fi Channel premiere um, for Robert Helmy called Grizzly Rage mm. with Tyler Hecklin from Teen Wolf. Good stuff. Um, and so I did that one, and um, so then everything kind of went digital. And Grizzly Rage, which could also sound like a it could be a, a love story. It could be. Thanks, <laughs> Nick. So it could be Thank a love story. I'm a hairy man. That's what I think so about am when I. I hear the, when I hear the word grizzly. Sorry. Yeah. Think of bears. Please we continue. are big berry men. Well, nonetheless, it's fun, audience. Mm. So that was kind of the thing. And that, you know, still there were some technical mm. issues. There was like, you know, on Grizzly Rage, we couldn't, the movie was a, a, a lot of car action and stunts, and we mm. couldn't mount the cameras because the cameras were too delicate for that. And so there was never mm. really, you know, you know, it was never really always fine. It was it, it just it took a while. But I think the last movie that I shot on motion picture film was a film called Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, oh, which, yeah. which mm -hmm. I had shot in um, South Africa. 
and uh, used a hammer. Where Edgar Allan Poe was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Down where Poe was. Baltimore. In Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I shot that there, summer. and that yeah. was the last movie I shot on film, and the rest would have been digital. So. Yeah. And, you know, digital looks fine now. They finally got the 24P right. And yeah. at, at what point, you look at your recent output mm-hmm. in particular, and you watch it over again, you, you notice certain things popping up. Uh, like, you seem to use the same house a lot. Right. Is that your house? No, it's not my house. That's okay. a fifteen oh, okay. million dollar mansion in Malibu, and I've had a pretty good run in the business, but not that good of a <laughs> oh, run. Yeah, okay. that house. Yeah, I just uh, I mostly, yeah. I, and I also uh, the I think it's like oh, a well, Corvette that, couch. That, that, Corvette. No, it's, it's yeah, the it's Volkswagen. VW Bug. VW yeah. Bug. It's a Volkswagen. Yeah. I was say that's a pity. That means it's not your couch. Yeah, no, you should have taken oh, that man. with you. No, that was a prop. That I was. was, I was a wanted, prop, right? I wanted to sit in that couch. I would give my right to have children away to sit in that couch. That house was actually owned. It's no longer around. It's they, we can't shoot there anymore. But what happened was the, I, I I had met the owner and he gave me a really great price. And locations are usually most of the locations in LA are kind of overshot and expensive. That one was relatively expensive on the first time I shot. But then I really started kind of liking the the the, mm. the, the place because it's kind of I like the look of it and everything. It's very open, a lot of possibilities. Yeah, and it's almost like pre-lit, you know, and stuff. Mm. It's it's got the pool and it's very quiet up there because it's right at the top of Malibu. And so I uh, he said, you know, I said, look, I you know, I was going to do another one. And I said I need a really more affordable place. And he says, look. You know, you treat my house really well. Whatever you want to pay me, I'll take. Okay. So basically, I had a very, very, very inexpensive location, and I did like thirty movies. Yeah, there. yeah. I like did like thirty movies there, and I had 13, half of them 13, 13, 13 yeah. related. Yeah, had thirteen. Most of the thir- almost all the thirteen, thirteen. I, I don't. Was this? I don't think there was a. Was there a Bigfoot one? I don't think was in there. Well, Bigfoot yeah, was shot in Canada. Yeah, that yeah. was not there. And um, but um, I shot uh, Giant Killer Bigfoot Bee. Island. Bigfoot yeah, Bigfoot Island. Bigfoot Island. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got Giant Killer Bees there. Uh, didn't wasn't Hercules? shot there? Oh, yeah. I I had someone seen that one, but I saw the trailer for that one. I was just like, Hercules is moving up in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Hercules is doing pretty well for himself nowadays. He's got that VW couch and everything. Well done, Herc. And and one of them was a slasher movie called Actor Slash Model, which is great title. Such a great title. (laughs) Such a great title. It took until, when was it, like 2012 that came out. It took that long to come up with Actor Slash Model. Brilliant. Well, it's, it's, uh, you know, you come up with these titles and you just Mm. have to, you know, you have to make a movie. You have to make a movie about it. <laughs> but those were all financed essentially by me and a couple of partners. And I started my own distribution company, and I really ramped up rapid hard. And I started doing these male centric sort of movies, mm. like The Brotherhood was a very yeah. successful mm. series of films. And I did like twenty two movies for Here well, TV. And and which one was it? The O Network. Um, no, Here TV. Here TV. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is a gay channel, the, which is still around. One of the one of the er, sorry one it's of the okay. earlier here earlier gay networks. Um, like exclusively gay, wasn't it? Yeah, primarily, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, my stuff, it's so weird because I, there's always been sort of, your films aren't gay enough, David, or your films are too gay. or yeah. nobody, I mean, I end up just making movies for myself, okay. you know what I'm yeah. saying? And I happen to be gay, and, you know, I just make movies that I want to see, and thank God there's been enough people on planet Earth mm-hmm. that want to see those too because I can continue making them. But, um, yeah, my films always just sort of celebrated the male form, and once in a while there would be a little bit of gay content here and there, or, but when you're dealing with vampires, it's all gay anyway. It's right? gay. Yeah. 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 Vampires are kind of gay. I've seen all of the, the Brotherhood movies, uh-huh. and there's only one that has explicitly like gay sex in it. Yeah, but there's a lot of subtext. Oh, there's a hell of a lot of subtext. Okay. There's, there, otherwise, it's nothing but subtext. <laughs> I see. But, uh, except for that one where they're running around the high school, where there's like the there's the two gay characters, and nobody else has yeah, any yeah, sort of gay yeah. subtext at yeah. all. But uh, that was Brotherhood Five. Brotherhood Five. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. And was, yeah. Why? But that is literally the gay sex scene. It's like literally a Disney Channel version of a gay uh, sex yeah, it's scene. Like, I mean, like it's two, just like two, two boys laying down, closed mouth kissing. It's just yeah, not it's just, yeah, it was really, really chaste. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering what, why? Why did you hold back? <laughs> well, why did I, I mean, hold the, back? Well, this the, is interesting that the, you the Brotherhood say that. movies are very clearly, you know, very erotic. They have a demographic. A lot of male yeah. erotic tension, and you know, they're being financed by a gay network. Why yeah. not just have gay characters? Well, that's you know, the minute though, it's it's a very interesting. You know, I've been asked this question a lot. I've answered it a few times, but I do want to make a, a sort of a, a, a kind of a very specific, very honest answer about it. Um, it's a very difficult. Um, you know, even after Brokeback Mountain and a lot of movies, it's very difficult. A lot of actors just really would rather not do that kind of thing. Oh, well, all right. So, uh, just on a practical level, about ninety-nine percent of the actors. Um, I mean, I dealt with this on a movie I did called Leather Jacket Love Story back in '96, 
which was a gay movie. Mm. And we had the absolute worst time trying to cast that movie where everybody would say yes, 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 until they said no. Yeah. And, and everybody would go into panic mode. And when you have actors that say to you, David, I'd rather play a serial rapist who rapes nothing but grandmothers, as long as he's straight, I'll do it. But I will not kiss another dude on the mouth. Wow. You know, and that is unfortunately, this is still... I'll do either, and I'm straight. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine, just put me in your movie. Yeah, well, that's, it's it's, it's a very odd, clunky kind of thing. And, you know, a lot of actors will say yes, 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 and then, you know, they change their mind, and... and thank God, the, the films that I did do that had the gay content, the actors were very trusting, and I, I was very respectful of how to push that. But, you know, there, are, there were other series on here, TV, like Dante's Cove and the Lair, that had a lot of that kind of content, and they would use, in some cases, a lot of actors who had done adult material before mm-hmm. and things like that. I just was doing my own thing, you know, and they're, you know, they're... You know, and the films did just as well. And um, you know, I was just talking with Here TV yesterday. They want to do a series of the Brotherhood, like six episodes. <laughs> like, oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So I thought, you know, why not? And so it's. Do still... you need Do you need large hairy guys in it? At all? <laughs> we'll do it. If, if you need hairy men, we we got you covered. Yeah, that'd be great. There's got to be a market for that, right? Come I mean, ha- hairy shoulders are the next big thing. <laughs> <laughs> just know that. <laughs> one, one day looking like a Sasquatch is going to be the sexiest thing in the world, and everybody's going to eat their we're, and, everyone, and we're going to be ahead of the curve. Ahead of the curve was like, oh one. my god, those guys saw it coming. And he did that intentionally. <laughs> well, it was the weirdest thing, because that first... I mean, I did a film called Voodoo Academy for Charlie, which was basically mm-hmm. a little bit... Kind of, that was the movie that kind of started this whole different career trajectory with this sort yeah. of celebration of the male form. And that movie took off, and so I did The Brotherhood for Regent, which became ultimately Here TV. And um, that was in every blockbuster. So I kind of felt that I was in my own little genre. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I did. Mm-hmm. I played it out that way. And, and, you know, I just, like I said, it just, you know, to me, it's, there's a lot of practicality to filmmaking and budget levels. And, um, you know, there's all, a lot of moving parts in, in how you decide how things are going to be portrayed and what the market you want to hit, the market you don't want to hit, the market you want to, you know. And I just, you know, I just, I was at way too many, you know, um, uh, gay film festivals seeing too many depressing movies when the, <laughs> when the producer Jerry Goldberg and I decided to do Leather Jacket Love Story and that was sort of a celebration and nobody died and you know, everybody you know it was like a fun little romp no, love no, story yeah. romantic love story no, angsty so. suicidal gay man and no yeah so, I mean which is fine I mean but that's just not the films you, that I'm making well, so. and, so, you know, and you don't want an entire genre to be dominated by only one thing you yeah, know, like, you this know, is the only kind of movie we can make about homosexuality? No, there's tons of different kinds of movies you can make. Yeah, and again, it's like some people, you know, like, yeah, like, thank God the genres, the, the the staples, like the horror genre or the science fiction or these things, you can really play around with, you know, symbolism and mm-hmm. and all kinds of just, you know, subtext and things. And, you know, it's just, you watch these movies and, you know... It, it's 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 a lot of it's unintentional. A lot of it that, that I was being intentional about does not come through. I just again, yeah. it just you know, it just really depends on the movie. But the thing is, is that this whole thirteen thirteen thing really was a tremendous success. I mean, it was really it, it worked out great for me. Um, and well, you I made loved, a million of them, like, I, yeah, and like, you got to bring back a lot of the people you worked with, like. Linnea Quigley is in. Oh yeah, I did yeah, one, at least one. Of them, I did right? one called Thirteen Thirteen Cougar Cult. That's right. Yes, and, and uh, with Linnea Brink and Michelle, who had good who had, times. Who had, the last time they had worked together was Nightmare Sisters. So it was the twenty-five year reunion of these girls, and they just did another uh, movie for me called Three Screen Queens. So, um, so those are my old friends, and we all got together. But I brought in Monique Parents and a lot of people in the Thirteen Thirteen. There's a lot of actresses I worked with that have come into play. In certain scenes, Michelle was in a couple of them, but um, it's you know again it's it's. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, like I, I did a film recently that's coming out in November, coming out with a small theatrical and a video on demand day and date called Knock 'em Dead, Barry Sandler's script. Mm-hmm. And that's the movie I'm really, you know, it was a script that was brilliant, but we had the toughest time getting it set up, you know, and we finally did, and I'm really happy with it. It's a classic sort of murder mystery, mm-hmm. manor house murder mystery with a lot of witty dialogue. It's very much like a 
um, like an old Agatha Christie, in which Barry Sandler had written. When is that coming out? November. Okay. So it's we'll called Knock 'em Dead. Make sure we, we stay in your email, Chang, because we yeah. want to make sure we don't miss that. Yeah, it's I'm yeah. really having Ray Don Chong's in it. Oh, Deborah, great. Deborah nice. Wilson from Mad TV. Cool. And, and uh, Christopher Judge and Jack A. Harry. It's very, and Betsy Russell is in it um, yeah. from the Saw movies and from yeah. the 80s. So it's I'm really, really proud <laughs> the of The Saw movies and the 80s. <laughs> and the 80s. <laughs> you didn't remember her from that decade. She, she had a couple like couple decades where she wasn't working much, and then yeah. suddenly she's back, and she looks yeah. fabulous. So, talk, we, we need to talk about, before uh, we run out of time here, um, we need to talk about a talking cat. Yeah, okay. the other have, films of its the, ilk, because okay. that is another right career sort mm-hmm. of shift, right? For you, where you're making movies for the very, very family oriented, yeah, very childlike in right. a lot of ways. Well, what happened was, is again, it was one of those things where a partner of mine came in and said, you know, we should probably also try. You know, you got your horror thing going, but one, you know, family films seem to be popular, and uh, why don't you uh, make a few? And I said, well, if I'm going to do them, I really want them to be so outrageous and ridiculous that we mm-hmm. get kind of go over the top mm-hmm. that we can really that get some traction. Audience, yeah, yeah, so we can get some mm-hmm. trending and so people will talk about them. And uh-huh. you know, and um, So you were almost going for an ironic whimsy on some Yeah, it's almost all of them. And we was mm-hmm. just and um so it's I It's called a talking cat exclamation point question mark exclamation, exclamation point. point. Yeah. Yeah. But there's there's I don't know. I, I I feel like some people might hear you say that and then go, oh, he's just like, it's like Tommy Wiseau later claiming that The Room was a comedy. But yeah. having seen your films, I believe it. I yeah. just want to talk oh, about no. how I this mean, came about. I mean, I, well, I, I... Casting Eric Roberts as the voice of the cat. Yeah. Right, right. No, it, it was one of those things where it was like I wanted, I mean, again, to me, it's, I just don't make the films. I also have to sell them. Right. <laughs> so um, it's not just like I make it and I walk away. So I have to create... An, you know, the family film market is a very flooded market. So you have to have something that's going to have a little traction. Mm. And so I know the talking animal thing was kind of popular. So I just said, I'm just going to go completely outrageous with these. And we took a chance. And movies like A Talking Cat, which is actually playing theatrically in a few cities now, um, it's just crazy. I mean, I, this was originally called The Human Whisperer. <laughs> yeah, and um, the, the writer, uh, uh, I said, well, I'm just going to call these things exactly what they are. And they became video-on-demand movies. But I brought Eric in and mm-hmm. Johnny Whitaker, who was from my childhood, and yeah. Christine yeah. DeBell, I brought her out of retirement. Was, and, was yeah, it easy was... getting Eric Roberts for this? It's like a talking cat, dibs. Yeah. I've always wanted. Like, or what, what was that conversation? Well, no, I had, done, I had done Wolves of Wall Street with Eric Roberts back in 2000, 2001 in New York. And he and his wife and I became pretty good friends. And um, I'm really good friends with his wife more than Eric but um, and then you know I started doing more of the films and I said you know I called and they're neighbors you know they're just down the street and I said you know you know I've got a bunch of stuff and she goes hey you know Eric loves working with you so if there's anything for him let him know <laughs> and I said well you know I've got some family films and there's this talking cat and they said come on over with the microphone <laughs> and so you just shot that at, you just recorded him like at his house at his house like, yeah where, what, what room in his living room okay. okay and so I just I showed up with my camera and my microphone and he read the script and he worked for 15 minutes and, and, he, and he, re- he recorded it wild we work if you can get it there yeah. yeah he recorded it wild I gave him his money and okay. uh, and uh, then I said hey Eric I'm making Bonnie and Clyde for Lionsgate and he goes I'll be, I'll be, I'll be in it And so I've done like 8, 9 movies with him he's a really great guy he loves working independent films he loves to work and so I got yeah. Christine DeBell, Johnny Whitaker, who I remember from Family Affair. He came down to be in it. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd populate it with 60s television stars, 70s and 80s stars like Christine DeBell, Eric Roberts, talking So everyone's from, parents or grandparents would have someone, someone they could go, to look at. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. let's get this. A, a friend of mine, uh, Mark Edward Hoyk, we've mentioned him on the show before, I was He's a fr- friends with Christine DeBell. Mm-hmm. And evidently, according to him, you're not supposed to mention some of her early movies, like Alice in Wonderland, you're mm-hmm. not supposed to talk about that because mm-hmm. she's she's very off the notion of her early like porn work. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a damn shame. It's a, which is a shame. Well, I mean, well, the thing is, when you say, hey, I saw you, I'd like you to be in my movie because okay. I saw you in... Yeah, I know, I know you know. Christine DeBell very well now. She's a very good friend. I spoke to her yesterday. Okay. She doesn't have a problem with Alice in Wonderland. She just doesn't want it to be the thrust of the conversation. You know? oh, yeah, she doesn't and, want it to be... And she said, David, I did five naughty things in that movie. And I go, yeah, you did five that's naughty a, things. Yeah, that's a kind of tame. It's very tame. And, you know, but she was in mint condition and it was the movie yeah. that you know she was on uh, the cover of like two play two or three playboy magazines yeah. you know so this woman was something i remember her back then and i right. really fell in love with her because she was so beautiful and so sweet and everything and then she took some time off and uh, she came back after she had some kids but you know i wanted i said i'm gonna have you do my family films because that way she mm-hmm. she's now a mom and she's still mm-hmm. christina play, bell play the mom, and she yeah. can play mom and so when those topics come up about alice 
she's she'll talk about it, but it's not. She really wants to just. She, you know, she was in the main event with Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. She was in Meatballs. You know, she did this get, one thing yeah. once, and no matter what else she does, uh-huh. it will always be the thing. Yeah, and I've had a lot of yeah. people. You know, and I, I talk about my early love stories, but to me, it's like. You know, it's not it's not really the topic of the conversation. Right. We've done other stuff too, yeah, and it's sure. like you know because a lot of people go, yeah, you should you should really embrace your early. And I go, well, you know, I shouldn't you know, go fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll embrace what I want to embrace. I don't live yeah. my life. You've I'm made not, so <laughs> many movies. Exactly. If you want to write off a few of them, knock yourself out. I'm not going to write them off. I'm just saying well, that it was yeah. so. I mean, the one thing about that kind of stuff is that at the time it was so. Staggeringly uninteresting to do. Yeah. So it's like not heard, even you know it's not even like we're ashamed. It's just like who cares? It's just like it's so dull, but yeah. it's so scandalous. So I read yeah. I read a great interview with Barry Sonnenfeld back because I guess he used to DP a bunch of those in the seventies, and he was talking <laughs> about D- yes D- like, D- yes it's very funny it's very funny thank you I'm sorry and he was talking about somebody had to they shot like a bunch of movies simultaneously in the same day just alternating scenes that they had like it was so boring to them that they didn't even realize that at one movie literally every sex scene was on the same desk like they could they didn't even care they didn't notice they didn't care and when it was done they're like oh it's on the same desk well just call no it, one's gonna give a shit just call the movie the enchanted desk and it'll <laughs> yeah it'll sell itself yeah, the, the yeah. idea of a set change was just to change the the, the uh the uh Change the um, um, the blanket. They, yes. they, get a new it's like, set. ooh, red blanket. I have a new fetish. Holy God, yeah. this would be great. But no, talking, cat, <laughs> talking cat, talking cat, talking cat, talking talking cat. So I came up with this this yeah. pseudonym, Mary Crawford. Mm-hmm. Um, By the way, I know somebody named Mary Crawford. You're so kidding. She thanks you for that. You're kidding me. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Mary Crawford. Sorry, Mary Crawford. Yeah. But uh, Joan Crawford and Mary. Hey, Mary. Hey, uh, Mary Crawford. And so I thought I was being clever. Um, not as clever as Richard Chasen. <laughs> no, no, that's that's the case. That's uh, pretty chill. We are we are just about out of time and just about out of juice on my laptop. So oh dear, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. But, okay, uh, David, thank you so much. Hey, come check yeah, out pleasure. my website, everybody. Rapidheart.tv. I'm a hooker. I need people to come to my website. Rapidheart.tv. Rapidheart.tv. Rapidheart. Unless we're not on video, you can't see how much he's winking right now. It's like he's got something in his eye. I got to rap, rap, but it's true. No, named after a visual or I guess an audible trademark. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, the rapid heartbeat has exactly. appeared in Walk into about a, a dozen of your movies that I've seen. Exactly. If there's a video store left in your neighborhood, I hope there still is, throw a rock in it. There's a really good chance you'll hit a David Dakota movie. Mm. Rent that. Rent everything he's ever done. We're huge fans. Uh, you, know. you guys are so cool. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Start, um, start with the killer eye. Uh, I, reco- <laughs> I recommend Virgin Hunters slash Test Tube Teens, but that's that's a personal favorite of mine. So, uh, do you have a personal favorite before we go? Is there a film of yours that's just like the, the one? Is the it Doctor Alien or the is one they there... list first on your obituary? What's uh, yeah, so when, they get, when you get your Lifetime Achievement Award, it'll be mostly footage from blank. It'll be mostly probably my favorite is probably Leather Jacket Love Story or Skeletons, but they'll probably be talking about a talking. Cat. There you go. <laughs> That's fine too. Okay. All right, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to the B Movies Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at B Movies Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review. Hope you do. You can find me on Twitter at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. You're on Twitter, yes? I at David De- at the real David Dakota or at David Dakota. I think it is. I don't do this okay. thing. It's like well, I got a kid. We'll, oh, we'll put a we'll put a link up if you yeah, want to follow please. the kid who pretends he's David Dakota yeah, on Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Social media. I can. Fi- I figured out Facebook barely. So. Yeah. You know. And by the way, the kid who pretends is David Dakota is the name of a David Dakota movie. movie. Yeah, That's exactly. not great. <laughs> With Eric Roberts' voice. Yes. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so everybody, thank you very, I'm very much for listening. Already. Here we go. Whitney's writing that up. Thank you very much for listening, and never forget. Is Dakota? Dakota? Oh. We're, smarter We're smarter than you. you. We're smarter. We're smarter than you. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry, what?